You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Patrick Rothfuss is the author of The Name of the Wind, and his new book is The Wise Man's Fear. Thank you for joining me, Patrick. Thank you. Patrick, you've designed a huge world that gives the reader a lot of room to move around in. I'd like you to, and it took you a long time to do this. How did you first approach this? Did you uh, just start writing at page one and create this kind of wavefront and write it, or did you, like, uh, create a superstructure? Uh, in some ways, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. Uh, anybody who's done writing knows that sometimes you think of it beforehand, sometimes you think of it during. You know, you build the world, the story happens in the world, then the world builds around the story. So uh, uh, I didn't have it all done ahead of time, but I did have a good chunk of it done ahead of time. I'd thought about this world a lot before I, I jumped into the story. Um, so I'm afraid I can't give you just a straight up answer, but. It's, uh, they, they fed off each other, the story and the world. Now, one of the things I really like about your writing is your prose voice. You have a really great prose voice, and what's kind of interesting about it is it seems very modern and has a lot of verve, which is not always the, the case in this kind of writing. So I'd like you to talk about developing a kind of modern and a sort of flip voice for uh, what, what I think is a, an unusual kind of world. Well, you know, I've, I've had a couple people mention that to me. They're like, how come, you know, people in your world, it's like, it feels way too modern the way that they speak, you know. But, I mean, this is a different world, you have to realize. And, uh, you know, should everyone speak with a British accent? I mean, it's not, it's not Britain. It's like you go to the Renaissance Fair and everyone suddenly put on a fake British accent. And I'm like, this doesn't make it archaic, you realize. They're, it just makes you pr- kind of... You're fake. Um, and so if I filled the book up with people saying, oh, prithee and my lord and whatever, it's like, that's just not appropriate for a world that I'm creating. It's just a convention of the genre that so many people follow that uh, people assume that you have to do it that way. Uh, but in my opinion, a lot of times, uh, it just actually stands in the way of the writing. If you want to read Lamort to Arthur, read Lamort to Arthur. Uh, but there's no reason a modern fantasy book has to be full of archaic word usage. Now, one of the things I really like about your books is your sense of story. You have stories within stories. They're like little frescoes almost in a big cathedral, and you can wander off into this little fresco and see this great little story, and they all add up to a bigger story, and each individual story is almost like becomes a pixel in itself. So I'd like you to talk about that kind of effect and how often do you get lost in those little frescoes? <laughs> well, there's a bunch of different ways. One of the hardest things about being a fantasy author is you create a different world, and then you have to introduce the reader to that strange world. And, you know, we've all read the books that kind of resort to the info dump, where the first hundred pages of the book is, you know, obviously it's, it's like a, a, a lecture describing the world to you, and here's the magic, and here's the religion, and here's how society works, and here's what makes this a fantasy world, and it's so different than ours. But it's so tedious to get a hundred pages of 
exposition. You know, that's not a great way to start a novel. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways around this, and fantasy authors have been learning these tricks for a long time. Uh, the way I like to bring information about the world into the book is through these stories, uh, because the sorts of stories that a culture tell reveal a lot about it. Um, I didn't know if I don't know if I got my plurals right there. Uh, if you you know the sort of culture that develops a Robin Hood myth, that tells you a lot about the time and place that that story comes from. Uh, the same thing with like you know the the all of the trickster legends in in Native American mythology, uh, the stories of the Greek gods. You know you read those stories about the Greek gods and you learn a lot about Greek culture. Um, so that's the way that I like to. Mm, kind of illustrate my world for my reader because it's way more interesting to hear a story than it is to listen to a lecture. Now, um, one of the things that interests me is the way you pace your book. It's very nicely, you know, it's a fast-paced read, both of them. So I'd like you to talk about um, creating a sense of pace within the stories, within the arc, within the novels, and within the whole overarching structure. And how much of this uh, overarching structure do you know? And do you, are you confident your, your third book is going to be the same size as the other two? The pacing is very difficult because I'm not following a standard like three-act Hollywood sort of, sort of script. Um, it's very difficult, and that's part of what takes so long when I'm doing revision is there's a lot of things that can go wrong with a kind of an elaborate interwoven plot structure like this. I have to write it and then read it and see if really, if, it, if it's dragging in places, if there's too much action in other places. Um, I, I wish I could say, it's simple, you do this, but it's not simple. Uh, there's no formula. I'm not following a formula here. Now, um, I really like the kind of imaginative flourishes you bring to the world, and those are often the most fun parts, I think, to read and, I would guess, to write. And I'm wondering if there are some that you, are, there are some babies you've had to kill, and if you will bring them back to life, which is uh, it's certainly your uh, uh, province. Uh, imaginative flourishes like, can you give me an example of one of the things that you've liked so I know exactly what you're talking about? Um, some of the, you know, the uh, the way the cultures interact, the way the the, the languages. I, I love the math in the book. I absolutely wow. love the math. So talk about those kind of, and just, you know, some of the creatures. Um, it's, all of these things kind of illustrate the world. Uh, you know, it's one thing to have you know, people wearing certain sort of clothes, like that sets aside a culture. But for me, culture is, is the, a world is so much more than that. Uh, you have pieces of, like, how they speak. You know, idiomatic speech is, is so important. Or the legends that grow up in a culture. Or, you know, the little rituals that a society develops. Um, in terms of having to cut things like that, I very rarely have to. Sometimes I cut things because the book is slow. Sometimes I cut things because I need to fix the pacing. Sometimes I cut things because I have two particular flourishes that are trying to do the same thing and one of them isn't as effective as the other. And I don't want to repeat myself so I cut one out. Um, it's all about economy. It sounds weird to say that having written a 400,000 word book but I really strive for economy. 
Well, I, I think you achieve it, too. And, you know, there's a word that you've been using a lot in our conversation, and that's culture. And I think what interests me is the kind of uh, dissonance and resonance when you read a book that's as completely well-written and um, designed and evoked as yours um, in our world. And I think that kind of that's the real pleasure of reading this kind of book, and it must be part of the pleasure of writing it. And I'm wondering how much you live in that kind of dissonant space between the real world and the world you create. I spend most of my time in the world that I create. At least lately, I have been with uh, all these these last minute revisions. Uh, and by last minute revisions, I mean the the last eight months, really. Um, uh, it is. It is interesting. I don't, I don't think of it as a dissonant space, but a lot of times I do move through the world and I come to a different part of the country. And it's interesting because I go to Seattle and I see people dress differently here. I see people act differently here. People drive differently. Uh, people behave differently in elevators. Uh, it's very interesting. I look at all of these things and I think, how, what does this reveal about the culture? What does this reveal about uh, the underlying beliefs and values of these people? It's very interesting. It's what I think about all the time. Now, you uh, have a third book coming out. Have you started it? And yeah. talk about uh, the kind of uh, how what you learned on your first two books is informing your third book. Oh, I, I know a lot more about writing now, obviously. Uh, my craft has improved over the years. It's mostly an issue of making sure this third book is as good as the first two. Um, I have a draft of it, but it was a draft that was written a long time ago, and it, uh, it's not as good as these other two. I really need to build it up. I really need to, uh, to rework it a lot before it'll, it'll be a satisfactory ending to this trilogy. Now, you did one side project while you were doing this trilogy. Do you anticipate doing any others? Yeah. Um, when I did The Adventures of Princess and Mr. Whiffle, it was very fun. And instead of, like, stealing time away from my work on the book, it actually really kind of invigorated me, and it reminded me why I so much enjoy writing. Um, and so I think that's a, a good use of my time. Uh, I avoided side projects for a long time, thinking they would slow me down, but uh, I think the opposite is actually true. I've been speaking with Patrick Rothfuss. His first book is The Name of the Wind. His new book is Wise Man's Fear. Thank you for joining me, Patrick. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.